love never fails. And I am so glad because all the times that we wake up and we realize that we fail the Lord. He says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Hey, Reggie, stand up for me. Not everybody knows Reggie, but that's Reggie. Last Wednesday morning, at a little bit after 8 o'clock, Reggie stood up around the flagpole of his school and called over 60 kids, teachers, coaches, administrators, and alumni. He called them to prayer and he said, I met Jesus at my church and I want to pray. And so, yes sir, he did it. He wasn't the only one, but he was the first one. And I am so grateful that he did that. Thank you, young man. Thank you, sir. God bless you. All right, so we're in the book of 1 Corinthians 13. And you know, it's kind of funny. 1 Corinthians 13, we know it as the, the love chapter or the, the love chapter in the book of Corinthians. And so because we so know that that is the love chapter, we kind of take the whole book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and say, wow, that's an encouraging book, or that's a book about affirmation. It really isn't. It's really a book about y'all messed up, and it's time for you to get your lives in order, and because I've been so harsh to you, I'm going to tell you I love you. You know how it goes, right? We've all been instructed on when you're about to correct someone, you say a little good, you nail them with the bad, and then what do you do at the end? Say a little bit more good, right? Well, that's kind of what Paul did. In honesty, he, he was talking to them and he said, Look, I've got to correct you about some really big ways that you have messed up. But all through it, he said, I'm doing this because I love you. Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells them, Doesn't matter what you know, doesn't matter what you do, really doesn't even matter who you are, that if you don't have love, then you're just a big old noisy symbol. He tells them that. Y'all, I have preached here for 18 years. There has never been a gnat on the stage. This morning, there is a gnat on the stage, and it is going right here. So if y'all see me going, I didn't smoke anything I shouldn't have, and I hadn't done anything I'm not supposed to do. There is a gnat on the stage, okay? It landed on my shirt. Sure, right? I promise. Listen, say something nice, and then say I was wrong, and then say something nice on the backside. All right, so Paul tells these people, it doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter who you know, doesn't matter anything like that, but if you don't have love one for another, you're just noisy. And then he goes to great length to tell them what love is. In fact, if we pick it up in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verse 4, he says, Love suffers long, that means patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So we have seen love is patient. We have seen that love is kind. We have seen that love is not proud. And we've kind of talked through all of those. And now today, Paul says, shifts from the love does not to the love does. And in this moment, he says... That if you're going to have love one for another, then love speaks truth. Do you know that's a recipe for conflict? Do you know that's a recipe for uncomfortable? 
that I would say has destroyed the, the avoidance of conflict at the sake of truth has destroyed churches, people, relationships. And so we as the church, we need to learn how, if Paul says this is part of love, and he was divinely inspired, ultimately God is saying that part of love is speaking truth, then we need to learn how to do it. You know, Jesus always knew the right thing to do. If you study his life, you find that sometimes he avoided conflict, sometimes he resolved conflict, and guess what? Sometimes he created conflict. Oh, but wait a minute. I thought that it wasn't godly to have conflict. Well, it depends because if it's defending truth, if it's defending something that would please God if you defend it, then conflict can be and should be a part of your life. Do you mean conflict should be a part of the church? Yes. Iron sharpens iron. If we're not getting sharpened, we're dull. Who wants to be dull? I don't want to be dull. So we want to learn how to do it in such a way that honors God, builds up the body, and edifies the other people that we're in life with. Because listen, I counseled this couple one time. They came into my office and they said, Pastor, we've been married X number of years and we're worried. I said, what are you worried about? They said, and you know, all my list of things is this, this, money, relationship, intimacy, those things are typically what people bring. They said, we've been married a number of years and we have never argued. I was like, what? <laughs> we didn't make it to the car on the honeymoon before we argued about something. So I need to know what y'all are doing. And ultimately, this is what it came to. They did not argue because one person in the relationship would never, ever speak up. And there was pent-up anger, and there was pent-up frustration, and it was destroying their marriage, and it was conflict without ever a harsh word. And so they went through some intense work on their own, and they learned how to argue. And about two or three months later, they came back and said, you're not going to believe this. We had it out. And it was awesome. <laughs> yes. Because they had learned the truth of the scripture where it says love speaks the truth. Many people believe that keeping the peace means avoiding conflict at all costs. It means I swallow my hurts, my feelings, I repress the truth, I ignore the problems. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. In fact, Proverbs 10.10 would say this. A sly wink of the eye causes grief. And foolish lips will be destroyed. How many of you would agree with me that honesty is the best policy? All right, now take out your driver's license. No, really. Do you have them? Take them out. And tell me, you don't have to say anything. Just look at it and see if there's any lies on your driver's license. You reckon there might be? I know there is on mine, because the day I went, I was like, no, nah, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> yeah. So we agree, and that's just a, a way to make a joke about something. But we do believe that honesty is the best policy. I, I, I agree with that. But I think 
that when honesty meets confrontation, when honesty meets the potential for conflict, oftentimes we back away from what we say is a core principle in our life. We back away from honesty as the best policy. I mean, how many, has anybody ever come up to you and said, you like my new outfit? That's the ugliest outfit you ever saw in your life. It don't look good coming or going. You're like, ugh. You're like, oh, yes, you look really nice. We haven't told that person the truth. They ask a wrong question. <laughs> but but the, the principle there is this. Rather than speak bluntly, we protect the person's feelings. Now, hear me. Don't, please don't go around if you see an ugly outfit today. Carl, you shouldn't have worn that to church today. <laughs> um, but we do. We want to learn how. We want to learn from the Scripture about what it means that love speaks truth. We're afraid to tell the truth. A church in our area not long ago had a minor disagreement. And that minor disagreement because they would not address it. Because they would not talk about it. A little over one third of the people left that church. And they started a new church. Well, here's the problem. That same one third that wouldn't address conflict at their old church are going to a new church to bring in more people and they're going to teach them the same thing. That, hey, when we have conflict, rather than us dealing with it, we run away. Now, how, what's another way we deal with conflict? We either are not honest or we, we do it backhanded. You know what I'm talking about? We, we tweet it. We Facebook it. How many of you would rather text a difficult message than go see the person eye to eye? You know what I'm talking about? Because, man, I can say anything I want, as much as I want, and I don't have to look at you. Yes, that's not healthy. Hear me. It's not because how many of you have ever received a text or, or communication through, through um, letters, not conversation, through words that are typed, texted, Facebook, tweeted, doesn't matter. How many of you have had those and you got all up in your dander up? And you were mad and you were ready to respond. And then you sat down and you talked to the person and you were like, oh, that's what you meant. That's what you were saying to me. Because let me tell you what I heard you saying to me. What I heard you saying was, I don't like you at all. What I heard you saying was, and so we want to be careful when we're communicating with people that we are forthright. We want to be careful when we're communicating with people that we're not backhanded. We want to make sure when we're communicating with people that we're not sarcastic. Saying what we Really want to say, and then we go, <laughs> I was just joking. No. Be careful. Be careful, because what it says here is that love speaks truth. Does that mean that if we... Oh, my goodness. It is there. Um, that means that when we... I'm going to speak truth to that bug. Get out of here. Um, because if we live in relationship with people, 
we are going to have conflict. Joy and I say we just need to go down to the country. We need to have a minute. We need to argue it out. But you see, when we argue on the presupposition of I love you, I want to be in relationship with you, I want us to be the most productive that I can be, then on the other side of it, it wasn't about a person, it was about an issue. And you are okay. That's what Paul is telling these people. Let's live a real life. Let's don't live a fake life. Let's have a life that we live together that says, I love you, I don't understand what's going on right now. I love you, I don't agree with what you're doing right now. But I love you enough for us to come together and have conversation. So what's he doing? He's talking to us. 1 Corinthians, again, 13.6 says, Love rejoices in truth. But notice Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love. I think we know how to be ugly. I think we know how to let it build up and build up and build up until we lash out. But Paul says before it builds up to an eruption, let's sit down and have conversation. Let's speak truth and let's live this life together. It's a skill that almost no one has mastered. It's a skill we are not taught. In fact, it's, a, it's something we're taught not to do in a lot of homes. And yet, it's a part of what Paul says is love. So how do we do it? Let's look at our outlines. There's four keys that I think we can pull out of Scripture. There are four keys to confronting someone you love. The first statement I would make to you is monitor your motive. That's asking the question, why am I confronting you? Why am I confronting you? I have two people in my life that are not blood related, that will try to have their conflict through me. You ever met somebody like that? You know what I'm talking about? They'll say, let me tell you, Casey did this, and I wish Casey knew. I just asked the Lord to speak. I guess he had to work. No, I'm kidding, Casey. You looked at me at the wrong time. If you want me to use your name, don't look. Yeah, <laughs> but he did. Casey said, man, I wish you knew, I wish Kim knew this about her. And he knows that I have a friendship with Kim. So he's hoping I'll take it over there. So be careful that you're not putting somebody in the middle of your conflict. Why am I confronting? Matthew 7, 3 and 4 says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, and a plank is in your own eye? We must check our motivation. Why am I doing this? Is your motivation pure? Ask yourself, why do I need to talk to this person about this issue? Why would I do that? Is it immoral? Is it unbiblical? 
Is it unethical? Is it destroying somebody that they care about? Are they about to hurt themselves? Why would I want to confront them? Why would I need to take it there? There are a lot of reasons for confronting someone. Some of them good, some of them not good. You might want to confront someone because you're jealous of them. You might want to confront someone because they annoy, irritate, or anger you. You might want to point out a flaw in their own life to make you feel spiritually superior. If I know that Miss Debbie doesn't read her Bible every day, because I got inside knowledge, and I walk up to her and go, yeah, the last 14 days as I was before the Lord... In my Bible, he spoke to me and said, Has he spoke to you lately, Debbie? That's not about her edification. That's about me letting y'all know that I read my Bible for 14 days. Straight. For an hour. And I have an entire book that the Lord laid on my heart. You see how we can just build it up and we can begin to look and say, look at me, I'm superior, look at me, I am this. But let me tell you, one of the biggest motivations that I, that I believe happens and is very common in our lives is that we often criticize in other people a weakness that we hate about ourselves. We often criticize in other people a weakness that we hate about ourselves. We need to be careful there. We need to check our motivation. Jesus is telling us, before you confront someone, make sure you're not guilty of the same thing. That's the whole plank and speck thing going on in this passage of Scripture. Make sure that you're not guilty of it. Yourself. When Jesus said, do not judge, he was, not, he was saying to us, do not hypocritically condemn in other people the very thing you yourself are doing. He is saying to us, do not build yourself up by tearing other people down when you're guilty of the exact same thing. That's where legalism comes from. It's where hypocrisy comes from. It's where we put up this big front and we say, look at me, I am super spiritual. Look at me, I've got it all together. Really what we're doing is smoke and mirrors. We're trying to divert the attention away from our own guilt, our own conviction, our own sin. And we're trying to throw it over there so that you won't look at me. Because if I can get everybody in this room to take it and look over here, I can be over here doing what I want. Because where are y'all looking? At that water bottle that just flew across the room. He says, be careful. Be careful 
of your smoke and mirrors. He says, check your motive and monitor your motive. Make sure that your motive really is to step into someone's life and do it for their edification, to do it for their growth, to do it for the building up of the body of Christ so that no shame or guilt is brought to the name of Jesus anywhere. Monitor your motive. Why am I doing it? Well, what is the right motive? 2 Corinthians 12, 19. Paul said, We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for what? Your edification. We speak before God through Christ. That means that he sat down, he spent time with God, and he went before God and said, God, what do I need to do? I want to build up this body of faith. Lord, I want to build up this individual. He says, so I'm doing it because I love you. So the right motive is for edification. Who do I confront? Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We confront people that we care about. There are times in my married life that that Miss Gail will come to me and say, I need to let you know that this offended, this hurt. My reaction would be, maybe, if I wasn't as spiritual as I am, would be, that's none of your business. Or you need to get tougher. Or I could back up a second. Say, you know what? She has a point. But you say, well, maybe I still, even after backing up and looking at it, I don't think she has a point. Well, then back up, and, and then I need to ask myself some questions. Does Gail love me? Yes, 28 years, she's proven it. She loves me. For 28 years, has she worked for the good of our of her relationship with God, the kingdom of God? Has she worked for the good of our marriage? Has she worked for the good of our children? Yes, she has. So either she's had a momentary fall into insanity, or I need to trust that this person loves me. So I need to say, does she love me? If she brought it to me, has she been in the habit of tearing me down? No, she hasn't. She's been in the habit of building me up. Okay, now I've backed up. I still don't agree with her. So then what do I need to do? I need to get on my knees before God and say, God, what she just said hurt me. I didn't like it. God, is there any truth in this? Is there something that I need to learn? Is there a takeaway? And then that wonderful Spirit of God that says He guides us to all knowledge and truth speaks and says, you know, when you say this or that, it does hurt her. There have been some times that she came and said, this, uh, this or that offended me, and I, I went through those steps. I didn't feel it. I backed away and said, God, and I didn't feel God speaking it the same way that she was. So we go back, and that's when we've had some conflict. And ultimately, sometimes we agree to disagree, and other times there's had to be a change in life, in pattern. 
And by the way, she is a thousand gazillion times better at that than I am. What's your motive? Check your motive. Who do I confront? I confront people I love. So, first of all, monitor your motive. Second of all, plan your presentation. Proverbs 16.23 says this. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. In other words, think before you speak. And in this day and time, I would say, think before you post. Think before you tweet. Think before you like. Think before you share. Think before you retweet. Think, think, think. Because if I am sending this message, you say, oh, I didn't say it. Somebody else said it. But let me tell you this. If you share it, you might as well have said it because you are agreeing with it. And you say, well, I didn't read all the way through it. Well, then shame on you. Don't just read the headlines because I surely know this about headlines. Headlines are there to get your attention, to get you to agree with something you might not agree with that might not build up the body of Christ. And you put it out there and in the fine print it says, da-da-da-da-da. So we want to be careful. We want to plan our presentation. 2 Corinthians 2.4 says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Can I tell you this? I believe that if you follow that pattern right there, verse 4, with anguish, with tears, you go before God, and even if your message is difficult and the person says, ouch, they will know you did it because you love them and they, you want to see them grow as a person of God and a human being in society. So you plan your presentation. Now, is it more fun to pop off at the mouth? Yes. I mean, you know those things like somebody says something and it's like right there on the tip of your tongue and you know you would go, ah, I got you. Or you're in the car driving home and somebody said something and you think, oh, I wish I'd have said that. Thank God you didn't. Because I've had a lot more times driving home where I wish God had shut my mouth than let it flow so freely. Yeah, you want to plan your presentation. So, um, I was talking to someone recently and there was going to be a little bit of a conversation that, that had the potential for conflict. And there had been some conversation about when and where and what ought to happen. There had been some planning. But then in the planning something changed and the person said, Hey, I tell you what, may I sleep on that one more night before we deal with it. I think that's good advice. Sleep on it. Wait and see if God's going to clarify. Wait and see if God's going to reveal something more to you in your life. Paul tells these Corinthians, I sat down, I thought about it, I agonized, I wept. That is how much I care about you. So we need to monitor our motive. We need to plan our presentation. And when confrontation cannot be avoided, what do you do? I think you plan what you're going to say. 
Do I write out if I know I'm going to have conflict? Yes, I write it out because I know me. Either I'll get caught up in the emotion and be a smart aleck or I will get to talking and forget the reason I was there. So I want, to, I want an outline of this is why we're going to have it. You say, well, I'll be done forgot what I was mad about. Then it really wasn't worth confronting anyway. But you plan your conversation. You plan what you're going to say. You plan when you will say it. There's some rules for engagement. What are they? You don't confront somebody when you're mad. You don't confront somebody when you're hungry. Right? Because you've heard about hangry. You know what I'm talking about? You're already mad because you want something to eat. That's not a good time. So you don't confront somebody when you're in the middle of the emotion. You don't confront somebody when you're hungry. You don't confront somebody when you're sleepy. And then you may have other triggers in you, things that that bring out emotion. Well, you don't want to confront them in those moments because the degree of it going bad is higher. So you plan what you will say. You plan when you will say it. You will plan how you're going to say it. Proverbs 12, 18, the tongue of the wise promotes health. You don't want your words to be wounding words. You want them to be healing words. So monitor your motive, plan your presentation. Number three, approach them with affirmation. That's what Paul did. He started off the book, man, I love you guys. Oh, y'all are so crazy. This is what y'all did. But love is. And I give thought to you. Approach them with affirmation. Approach them with, look, I'm not coming into this situation because I don't like you. I'm not coming into this situation because I want to squash you. I'm coming into this situation because my hope is that there will be redemption. My hope is that there will be reconciliation. My hope is that there will be salvation of a relationship. You say, Pastor, are you talking to me in theory or are you talking to me from life? I'm talking to you from life. Because I did not know how to confront situations. I did not know how to confront people. I did not know how to walk through moments where I felt hurt and redeem them. My, My modus operandi was to walk away. And just to write a person off. And I've had to go back and apologize. There was one year in my life that I knew that there had to be some reconciliation with people. And I said, God, who are they? And he gave me a list of eight people that I needed to go to. First name, last name, phone number, address, where they were every minute of the day. I knew for a fact that God wanted me to have conversation with these people. And I knew the conversation would begin like this. I was wrong. I am sorry. 
please forgive me. And throughout the year, he divinely, and I believe this, divinely brought those people into my life. The last one was on December the 24th, 1998, with a person who lived out of town and did not often come back to the town they grew up in put us together in a grocery store line on a busy Christmas Eve service on night where I was on my way to church. I turned around. They were standing there and I said, okay. You plan what you're going to say. You plan when you're going to say it. You do that and you approach the person with affirmation. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. Number four. Risk the rejection. Say, I don't want to lose them. Well, if you've got a broken relationship, you've already lost them. Right? It's already not there. So risk it, because if you risk it, it runs the opportunity of healing it. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. In other words, we had reconciliation. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear... What vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Paul went to those people. And he confronted something very harsh. And he said, I'm doing this at the risk, but I'm doing it because I love you. And I'm doing it with the motive of causing you to have godly repentance and reconciliation. That's not easy. And I would say that if you have someone in your life before you just run out of here today and, and do it, first of all, remember, you plan what, you plan when, you plan how. And I would even add that you seek counsel. To seek out somebody that you trust and say, you know what, this has been going on in my life. This is something that needs to be addressed. This is a broken relationship I have. And I want to make it right. And I want to do it in a way that honors God. But now, would you walk beside me? Which opens up a whole other spiritual principle. It talks about those of us with gray hair to walk beside those that don't have gray hair. So that we can train them up in, in a way. Hey, how are you? Awesome. It's cool. It's good to see you. Um, we saw each other in the store the other day. And it's good to see you today. Hey. Um, 
it's there and we want God to do it. And I want you to show me how. What have you learned? What have you learned not to do? What have you learned to do in your life? And you see, that's why we do life together. That's why we get in small groups. That's why we're in discipleship. That's why we dig into the hard parts of the Word because there are ways that God has made us all unique and in our uniqueness we can help each other. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have conflict? Do you have unresolved conflict? Do you have situations in your life that you would like to, to try to bring reconciliation. Let me give you some resources that I think could help you. Um, there are numerous books at Lifeway Christian Store and other Christian bookstores that you could walk in and it talks about conflict resolution. If you're a person who reads, then go get a book and read it. That works, if that works for you. Miss Marsha works there in the evenings. She would be happy to assist you. She knows right where they are, I promise you. Um, that's one way to do it. Um, Focus on the Family is a long, ongoing organization that has dedicated itself to relationships in family, in church, in addiction, you name it. They have got it there, and they have counselors that will call you and talk to you and guide you towards a right place to go. You say, does it really work? Yes, it does. I have a good friend that called me last week and said, I just learned that my son was molested as a little boy by another family member. I don't know what to do. What should I do? Hey, why don't you call Focus on the Family? Talk to them. Within 30 minutes, Focus on the Family had a trained, professional, licensed counselor call her back and say, this is the first steps. This is what you need to do. And then now I'm going to send you the resources that will help you walk this journey of life. There are people out there that want to help you. There are ways to do it. You can go, even now, you can go um, other places. But I will tell you, those are solid places. Go to a Christian bookstore. Seek that one that you trust. Go to a Christian bookstore. Go to the section on conflict resolution. Look for the books. Go to Focus on the Family. Go to gotquestions.org. It's another place that will guide you to biblical truth. That at the bottom of it, at the bottom of the article on what you've talked about, there will be a list of resources down here that you click that link and it will guide you to other pieces of information. This is what I don't want you to do. You have a church as a resource. We want you to come to us. We can guide you. We're not always trained in your issue, but we, we know the people who know the people. And we'd love to help you. We can, you can go to resources on the internet. You can go to resources in the Word of God. You can go to the resources in bookstores. You don't have, in this day and time, with the availability of information, you don't have to live this issue by yourself. And you say, well, what if I'm wrong? That's why you seek counselors. That's why you want to seek it out. That's why you want to take it to God and say, God, have I assessed this situation correctly? And then you begin to do it. What's the first reconciliation that has to take place? The first reconciliation that I believe that needs to take place is between you and God. God, 
I know I'm born again. As a born again person, I want to please you. God, you tell me that if I'll seek you, you'll guide me to all truth. So today, if you're in that moment, you just say, Lord, guide me to truth. If you have not ever received Christ as your Savior, that's step one. Go, come to Jesus and say, Jesus, be my Savior. The next thing you do in your life is you begin to take your issue. You're reading the word. You're specifically praying. And you say, Lord, show me, guide me. Sometimes he's going to say, go now. Sometimes he'll say, hold on. Sometimes he'll say, get more information. And even sometimes he says, you're wrong. But he will guide you to truth. And that's ultimately where we want to go. So this morning, as we close our service, how are we going to do that? It will be as we always do. If you do not know that you have a solid personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, don't wait. That's the beginning. The second part of that is you can take your burden to the Lord. Lord, today this is where I am. Lord, guide me in this truth. You can come here to the front and you can pray. You can come and we have people that will pray with you. Or if you hang around after the service and you say, I just need to talk about it, I would be happy, happy to do that. Number one, because I love talking to you. Number two, the longer we talk, the more pine straw they'll put out before I get there. How cool is that? <laughs> I just got to be honest. Oh, that's just the moment we have. But it is a good thing. And Father, I thank you. I tell you what, let's stand up. The, the scripture says how good it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. I don't know any better way to show unity than to reach across the aisle and hold the hand, lock the arm of the people next to you. But let's reach across, let's, let's spread it out. If there's nobody on your row, jump to another row. If you don't like the person next to you, trade with that person. Lord, I know nothing harder to deal with than conflict. I know nothing more uncomfortable than to have to confront someone or even to be confronted. But yet, Lord, you tell us this, that love speaks truth. Love speaks forthrightly. And Father, I pray that you would teach us as Mount Zion Baptist Church to learn to come together and have real talk, real conversation, that through us, Lord, that you would, that you would use us in our community to a world that is hurting, to a world that's confused, to a world that, that doesn't understand all that's happening around it. God, that you would use us and our friendships and our relationships with each other and ultimately with you. God, to be light. You have told us to be light in the world, to be salt in the world, to add flavor to it. And God, I pray that, that you would use us. Lord, we don't want to come in and have fake hellos and, and happy high fives. But God, we want to go deep. We want to go beyond the surface. We want to go to koinonia. That fellowship of the saints that's made possible and brought together through the blood of Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. God, we want to be invested in each other. Lord, we want to be invested in this community. God, we want to be people that are not ashamed of the gospel. 
uh, afraid to proclaim that it is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, we want to be a people that when we come together, that, that people take notice. And say, I don't know what they have, but I need to find out. So Lord, as we have a time of response. And as we sing, Lord, do a deep, supernatural, prison cell shaking work in us. Lord, we ask you to sling open the doors of, of spiritual, emotional, and physical bondage. Lord, that you would break the chains of the sin that has entangled us. God, for the sin that we have ignored, for the sin that we have, we have lived with it so long that it's, that it's like a ward on your nose. You just don't even see it anymore, but it's there. God, convict us of that. Lord, we do pray in Jesus' name.